The law is what man does. Grace is what God has done already through his son, Jesus Christ. The law brings condemnation as it should. The law says you are a sinner. And we're like, yes, I am. Condemnation. Grace brings forgiveness. Grace says you are forgiven because Christ has died for your sins. The law beats you up as it should. The law pummels us because we're like, I can't, I can't defend myself. Grace builds us up. Hello there, and welcome to Live in the Light with Pastor Robbie Simons. I'm Craig Turnbull, and today is the second half of our teaching entitled Present Yourselves to God from Romans chapter 6. Well, what a title and what a word from the Apostle Paul today as he reminds the believers in Rome that they, and now we, are to live our lives in a way that literally presents us before God. Think about that for a second about your life, specifically you today. What are you presenting to God with your life? Are you pleased with it? Is it something you would be ashamed of? Well, take heart, friends. Conviction is good, and as we're going to hear, there's a lot of hope for us all from God's Word right now. Let's go ahead and open God's Word to Romans chapter 6 and flip things back over to Pastor Robbie to learn more. Get a very strong parallel text here for our passage today, Genesis 4 7. I've always appreciated this verse. This is God speaking to Cain just before he murders Abel. If you do well, will you not be accepted, Cain? But if you do not do well, look at this metaphorical language, so helpful. Sin is crouching at the door. And notice, The desire of sin is contrary to you or against you or is for you, translations say, Cain, you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you. And of course, we knew that sin did get Cain because he ended up leaving this place. And a few verses later, he murders his brother Abel. Now think about in our lives. That's again, powerful metaphor. We live our lives and we walk through many, many doors and we're not vigilant, we're clueless, we're walking around, we're indifferent, we love our sin, whatever. And sin is behind the door, what an image, ready to pounce. Sin wants to ambush us. Maybe this past week, sin ambushed you, this past month, this past year. How many of us have been ambushed by sin? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, church. You must rule over it. Again, the Bible says that's what's happening here in Romans 6, verse 12. Sin is lurking. Sin is crouching. Sin is positioning. Sin is ready to ambush because sin wants to get you, to destroy you. Sin wants to rain on you. Sin wants to rule you. So that's the battle we face. But listen, remember, let's go back now. Let's get some gospel. Let's get some truth, right? The whole point of Romans 6 thus far, right? Paul's detailing the battle of sin that's in front of us, but the whole point of Romans 6 is in Jesus Christ, he has won this battle for us, right? Jesus Christ, he died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. So if we believe in Jesus Christ, we too, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. So therefore in Christ, sin no longer reigns. 
Therefore, in Christ, sin has no dominion ultimately. And because sin does not reign in the life of the believer, we have been given the power then in Christ to not let sin reign. See what Paul's doing now? There's lots of slavery terminology in Romans 6 through 8, right? What Paul is saying, John Murray's helpful here. John Murray says this. He says, you would not say to the slave who's still a slave, you would not say to the slave who's in prison, you would not say, hey, don't behave as a slave. You wouldn't say that to the slave who is still enslaved. Hey, don't behave as a slave. That's mocking their enslavement. However, if you say to the same thing to the person who has now been set free, who was formerly a slave, but has now been set free, the prison doors are open, the shackles are off, and this person is now free in Christ. Now you say to that person, don't behave as a slave. You're not mocking them. You are claiming their status and right of their liberation. You see? So if you've been set free in Christ, the Bible's saying to us, listen, if you're in Christ, you are no longer enslaved to sin. You've been set free. So now behave as those who are not enslaved to sin. Don't behave as those who are enslaved because you're not. Behave as those who have been set free. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. In Jesus Christ, this no longer has to happen, right? Summary, in Christ, indicative. In Christ, all these done indicative. Imperative, let not sin reign. Let not sin reign. Sin is not to preside over our house. Sin does not hold the seat of authority for those of us who are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you look at verse 12, here's application. You look at verse 12, what sin haunts you? What sin ruins you? What sin is taking you down on a daily basis? What sin, again, I want you to look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign. Now take the word sin out and specifically replace it with the actual sin you most struggle with. So in the context of our passage in so many New Testament writes, let not sin, let not lust therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let not anxiety therefore, let not greed therefore, let not bitterness therefore. I want you to take your sin, I want you to place it in there and say it out loud. Each week we're trying to do this. This is very helpful for me. And then this past week, again, you claim what's true in Jesus Christ. Let not blank, whatever sin it is that you face, let not pride, let not, again, worry, let not jealousy, let not these sins, let not, you say it out loud, reign in your mortal body because Jesus Christ has died to set you free if you are alive in him. So you see the theology that we're learning right now? So i got a couple signs I want to present to you right now. So here is, our, here is our reality of our life before Christ in terms of sin, okay? Our life before Christ in terms of sin is like, hey, sin, come on in. You reign, you rule, I'm dead. Okay, before Christ, we're like, hey, sin, come on in. After Christ, not so much, okay? After Christ, sorry, we're closed, okay? After Christ, right, I belong to someone else, we're closed, not open for business. Before Christ, we don't care. Sin, come on in, do whatever you want, man, whatever it is. After Christ, no, no, sorry, we're closed, right? Some of you identify that, some of you don't. Let's get another sign, all right? How about this one? Uh, In Christ, sorry, I'm private property now. Okay, amen, this is good theology, I belong to Jesus Christ. I have died to sin, no longer me, him that lives in me. I am now private property. Satan, sin, again, again, I'm no longer enslaved to you. Some of you don't like that one. Maybe you'll like this one, okay? Hey, hey, sin, no trespassing here, baby, all right? No trespassing. 
No trespassing, man. I'm alive in the Lord Jesus Christ again. And this is just good theology today. You have to hold up the signs that are yours in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul's doing right here? Paul's like, hey, you've been given this. Live like it. You've been given this. Claim the truth. You've been given this now, the indicative. Here's the imperative. Take it as yours. Sin, again, sin can no longer reign in my body. This takes us to point number two, which is this. Therefore, indicative, here's the imperative, I must present myself to God. I thought I have different ways of saying point two, but it's right in the text, it's beautiful, and I just love this imagery and this word. We're gonna unpack this together. Look at verse 13 now. So it says this, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Let me paraphrase the first part of verse 13. Okay, I'll say it as simply as I can. Here's what the text is saying, ready? Stop using your body parts for wickedness. That's what it's saying. Stop using your body parts for wickedness. Verse 12 used mortal body. Verse 13 now, it's members. What are members? Body parts. Members, actual parts of our body given to us by God for his glory. The person who is ruled though by sin, the person who is reigned over by sin, the text says, they present their body parts as instruments of unrighteousness. It's right there, verse 13. So this is very serious stuff then, isn't it? So we ask our question, then we ask a question. Are our body parts being used as instruments of wickedness? Are they? It's sobering, it's sobering. This is when you start to see what the Bible's teaching here, specifically on the mortal body and our physical body or flesh. Other verses start to pop like crazy now, right? So let's take the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus in teaching in Matthew 5, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, body, pluck it out. He's not being literal there, but he is being very, very serious. Do whatever it takes. If your eye causes you to, if you're looking at things that are causing you to sin, that are leading you to destruction, whatever it takes, it's better for you to go to heaven with one eye, Jesus says, than go to hell with two. On the same level, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your hands are leading you to sin and destruction and eternal separation from God, again, Jesus will say, it's better going to heaven eternal life with one hand than going to hell with two. The seriousness of how our bodies are being used in our lives and how we're presenting them either for instruments of wickedness or instruments of righteousness. If you look at the middle part of verse 13 now, so now he says this, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Now, can you see when the part, can you see the indicative and the imperative again in the part I just read? You look at it there. Can you see the indicative and the imperative, right? So the imperative is present yourselves to God. Why? Based on the indicative, because he has brought you from death to life. You see that? So you've been brought to death to life indicative. So the imperative, the obligation now is again, present yourselves to God. Because he's raised you to new life. This makes total sense. In Christ, he has purchased us by his blood. We are no longer our own. Another wonderful verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 on the screen for you. Look at this verse pop now for us. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Hey, Christian here today, genuine Christian, your body is 
is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. God has given this to you and me. So you are not your own. I mean, look at that. You are not your own. You belong, your body is not your own. For you are bought with a price, specifically the blood of Jesus Christ. So notice the indicative, you've been purchased, imperative, glorify God with your body. And the context of 1 Corinthians 6 is a massively serious exhortation on sexual sin and sexual immorality. Temples of the Holy Spirit, our bodies matter a great deal to the Lord because so much of how we use our bodies is an indication, again, of what's happening within and the attitudes of the heart. Present yourselves to God. It's interesting, eh? So verse 13, now notice here, verse 13, present yourselves, not your members here, or at least in this part, present yourselves to God. Members is coming next. Present yourselves, yourselves, your whole being. Present your soul, present your life, present your heart. Present yourselves. It's very reminiscent of Romans 12, 1. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, which will be holy and acceptable or holy and pleasing to him, which is your spiritual worship. Present yourselves to God. I was thinking on that this week. Present yourselves to God. And I thought of the hymn, the beautiful hymn, where it says, um, here's my life, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Like, it's so good to hear. Like, here's my life. Here's my life, Lord. I present it to you. Take and seal it. Seal it, Lord. Seal it for thy courts above. The person who's presenting, offering, living sacrifice. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And of course, the lines that precede that one in that hymn go like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Like, isn't that so true? We're so prone to wander. We sang today, he will hold me fast. Our love often grows cold. Prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Here's my heart, Lord. I present myself to you. Take, take all, take all. Seal it for your courts above. That's what presenting yourselves to God is. I wonder how many of us right here watching Overflow in this room right now, how many of us need to present ourselves afresh to God? How long has it been since we've ever even contemplated or meditated on this truth that we need to present ourselves afresh to God today? In all the areas of our life. You know, I really, really strongly encourage you for those, I mean, What's happening right now is that what the enemy is going to try to do and your flesh will try to do is within minutes from now, try to make you just compartmentalize this message, this passage, just put it aside and move on to the rest of your day, not think about it ever again. For those who are serious about growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, though, you will find a way. You will discipline yourselves. You will open up Romans 6, 12 to 14 sometime today. You will look at it. You will pray over it. You will meditate on it. And you will say, Lord, what does it mean to present myself to God? What area of my life? Where can I do the Holy Spirit? Some of you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. There's others, though. This is not just right now. Leave it. Go have lunch and forget about it. No, no, no. It's just now understanding this is so important. This is the essence of my faith. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal Live for thy courts above, and you're examining your life. See, I've done my part now. Now it's your turn. I've done all I can do to be faithful to the God, his text and his word, and preaching faithfully what is true. And now it's your turn and my turn too, as I have to apply this to my heart and life. But I can't do this part for you. 
You have to do that before the Lord, presenting ourselves afresh to God. Interesting here, the word, the verb present literally means to place at someone's disposal. Here's my life, Lord. I place it at your disposal, whatever you want to do. What is it? It's surrender. It's surrender. It's surrender. I yield. I offer. Here's my life. But notice what he says next in verse 13. So present yourselves to God, but then he says this, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What's that? Your body, your body. You see, so if you generally present your whole being to God, well, naturally you present your body parts to God. Naturally, you must present your member. You can't present your whole self and not your body. Of course you present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Questions. Is my tongue being used for righteousness? Right now, this past week, this past month, is my tongue being used for righteousness? Are my eyes viewing righteousness? What am I looking at? What am I viewing that is wickedness? Are my ears listening to righteousness? Or am I consumed by listening to things in the end are rooted in wickedness? Is my mind thinking on all things pure, Philippians 4? Or is my mind engaged in thoughts of wickedness? Is my body, specifically here, sexual actions, sexual in nature, is my body being used for wickedness. See, because it matters to God. Because the person who's been brought from death to life is the person that has changed, the person who desires. There's so much grace, church. There's unlimited forgiveness. And yet the reality, the whole point Romans 6 thus far, if you've been truly saved, you want to change. You desire, you hate sin at the end of the day. You want your body. And no more important or serious than sexually speaking, to be used as an instrument of righteousness. So the word instrument, right? Like think of it this way. As a skilled craftsman uses a tool, as a musician uses a musical instrument, as a soldier wields their sword, this is what it's saying that our bodies, again, I want you to really think, about, our bodies are specifically instruments in the hand of God. Our bodies are designed to be instruments of righteousness in God's hand. Is that happening? Are we instruments of righteousness, vessels of honorable use? 2 Timothy 2. So another hymn that kind of speaks to this. Take my life and let it be. And this, this, this describes it all, right? Present yourselves, every part of me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. And then the other, the other verses, I wish I could all them to you, but Lord, take my hands, take my voice, take my silver and my gold, take my will, take my love, take it all. Take it all. Here's my life, Lord, take and seal it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. See, the natural outworking of the indicative that leads to the imperative 
in Christ, now I present myself to God. It just makes so much sense. It's such powerful theology. Takes us to our third and final point, which is this. Therefore, because I'm in Christ, sin is no longer my master. Sin is no longer my master. Verse verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. Why? 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 Here's why. Since you are not under law, but you're under grace. Okay? Sin will have no dominion. In other words, sin, if you're in Christ, if you're saved, sin is no longer your master. And by the way, what Paul is saying here in verse 14, back to the indicative again, back to the promises of the gospel. If you're in Christ, the promise today and forever, church, is sin will have no dominion over you. Forever. Like that's the promise of glory coming when Jesus returns and takes you to himself. So the believer's reality is we enjoy freedom in Christ today and every day forever. That's the promise of verse 14. Now, why is that true? How can that be true? Because of Jesus Christ, but specifically look at verse 14. For you are not under law, but you are under grace. Now, what does it mean that we're not under law? This doesn't mean, obviously, we have no obligation to the commandments in Scripture. Well, that would be ridiculous because they go against everything we just taught in this sermon today. Of course, we have obligations to our past reality in Christ for commands to holiness. So it doesn't mean we don't have to obey anything. So what is it saying then? It says this. We are no longer, longer under the domination of the law. We are no longer ruled by the domination of the law. Understand this, okay? The law in itself is not bad. The law does what? The law reveals our sin, but the law cannot save us from it. That's so key, okay? Uh, do, not, do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not use the Lord's name in vain, right? All these, that's the law. The law reveals the fact that we are sinful, but the law cannot save us from our sins. We need more than just the law. The law's not bad. It just can't bring us to victory. The law dominated the old regime. What's the old regime? The old covenant. The law dominated. It was all about rules and regulations. We could never meet ourselves. Under the new covenant, what dominates? Grace now dominates. Grace dominates forgiveness dominates because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. So the judgment and penalties of the law no longer have power over us if we are in Christ. Why? Because we have received grace. And what is grace? It's a gift. It's getting what you don't deserve. Grace is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good deeds. You'll never be a good enough person to earn grace. It's a gift from God. Jesus Christ came and died that he might give us grace to save us from our sins. See, so a perfect verse for this is John 1, verse 17. Take a look on the screen. For the law was given through Moses. That's a good thing, but it's not enough. Notice, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, that's why Christmas and Easter is everything, right? It explains to us, again, the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ. Just while we're here, let me put this up. This should be super helpful. Let's contrast the law versus grace, okay? The law is spelled D-O, what you have to do, okay? By the way, this is also how religion is spelled. Just, just so you know, I'm not religious, not in this sense. 
Christians are not religious because religion in our world is defined as what you have to do. You're trying to be the best person you can to earn some kind of salvation. That's impossible. Grace, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. What's already been done for you. You see, because because Christ did everything, I don't have to do anything in terms of my salvation. I can't, I can't earn it. I can't, I'll never be good enough. Christ died for me. He did it already. I just need to receive what's been done. Huge difference between the law and grace religion and of course, true Christianity, biblical Christianity. The law is what man does. Grace is what God has done already through his son, Jesus Christ. The law brings condemnation as it should. The law says you are a sinner. And we're like, yes, I am. Condemnation. Grace brings forgiveness. Grace says you are forgiven because Christ has died for your sins. The law beats you up as it should. The law pummels us because we're like, I can't, I can't defend myself. Grace builds us up. The law cannot save. Grace saves through Jesus Christ. The law is about external rules and regulations. I have to do this. I should do this, whatever. They're trying to perform, again, all these outward. Grace, notice, is the internal heart attitude of those who receive grace by faith. Massive difference. Law is, I ought to, I ought to. I, how many people live in this, in this area? I have to, I ought to, I should do, I ought to, I ought to. Always under condemnation and guilt. Grace says, no, 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 I want to. I'm not doing things to be saved. Because of the indicative, I have been saved. Now I desire to live for Christ because he's given me, again, life over death. You see that difference? Massive difference. Now I want to love Christ because what he's done, not because I have to. This is good. The law is where the sheep dies in the hand of the shepherd. But grace is where the shepherd dies for the sheep. The good shepherd, Jesus Christ, dies for the sheep himself. Amen, church? And then notice the law ultimately leads to defeat, right? Because we'll never be good enough. We'll never be good enough. There's so many people still, still in our day, trying to perform acts before whoever they think God is. They'll never be perfect. And so therefore, law ends up in defeat. The law reveals our sin, cannot save us from it. Grace leads to victory because the Bible says over and over, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything comes down to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us the gift of grace that we may never die again, that we receive forgiveness of our sins. See, so that is why then sin, because of Jesus, sin is no longer my master because I'm no longer under the law. I'm no longer dominated by the law. Now I am ruled by grace and the freedom that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a little hymn poem that kind of will end with this. Attributed to John Bunyan, could be someone else, but I love it. It says this, do this and live the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands, but a better word the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. You see that? Say that once more, okay? Do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. No way to fulfill it. A better word, though, the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That is the life that is saved and forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. The indicative, we have been saved in Christ, must lead to the imperative Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
It's good stuff, eh, church? This is important truth. God, help us to change and grow. Let's pray, let's pray. Father, help us. Holy Spirit, oh, I pray. You are surgically applying with precision your word. I can only imagine the laser beams of light intersecting in people's hearts and minds and situations and homes and work, whatever it is, exact exact moments of their lives that you've spoken to them about. Continue to do that, Lord. Continue to do that. Reveal to us what sin remains. And help us, Lord, to see you are righteousness, Jesus. Even as we sing now, oh, encourage us so much, I pray. We would see these words pop out from the screen into our hearts and say, yes, Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus Christ, holiness in me. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, well, an encouraging message for sure. We pray God has done just that in your heart, encouraged you as you have found your face fixed again at the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, if God's been stirring in your heart and you'd love to share it, reach out to maybe the Live in the Light team and maybe share a word of encouragement or even to grab a copy of today's message, make sure you visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. That's liveinthelight.ca. Or you can phone us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's all for today, listeners. Join us again next time here on Live in the Light. I wanna-